Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit that truly comforts us so that we're not remaining as orphans. Through your spirit, we feel and we have experienced the Father's embrace, the Father's love, the Father's extravagant and lavish presence in our life. We don't feel alone anymore because of the faithfulness of the ministry of your spirit. We pray that tonight you open our eyes, that we might be able to see farther than what we've been seeing that we would walk in the direction of the light that you shone over our lives and that we might be the people like the Maccabees that were able to recapture the temple, place of worship, the dignity and the excellence of gathering here at your house. We pray, O oh God, against all those that continue in confusion and confusing others with a lack of clarity, with a lack of determination and deliberate, intentional passion to pursue your best and your highest. Let your word tonight minister to us and lead us as you're promising your word that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that we might consider and allow your work to have its place in our hearts as a good seed planted in a heart, as a double-edged sword that penetrates deeper than just a, a super, superficial intellectual experience. Let your word minister between the spirit and the soul in the deepest part of our being so that our will is turned towards you and that we not continue wandering in the unbelief as these leaders that were in the temple asking Jesus to show himself plainly. We ask that you show yourself plainly tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the first things that the Lord does in our lives when we have an experience is opening our eyes. And we see this in Acts chapter 26, verse 15. Paul is sharing his heart as to the moment in time when he made the transition. And having fallen from his mode of transportation, so I said, who are you, Lord? And I want to, to tell you that the only person that is meddling in our lives, his name is Jesus. No, don't confuse that for a second. There is no church, there is no religion, there is no man of God so personal, intentional to want to meddle with us in regards to our calling. Do we understand that tonight? that I'm, I'm surprised that I'm still here after 30 years. 
And, and sometimes people confuse and they say, why is Joaquin busting my chops? It's not Joaquin. I'm not that good to care about your future. I'm not that good to have a plan for you and your family's life. I'm not that good to care about your best interest. It, it's too many people. It's too many places. We understand that? I come to the place in my life when anything comes to signal something out, I can't get upset with the messenger. Tonight, Louis was bringing me coffee. He says, this is not me. I'm just the messenger. And, and it's not. We need to come to terms when somebody is busting our chop in our spiritual side, we need to see Jesus. Because he ultimately is the only one that has a true plan. He ultimately was the one that lost his life, offered his life up on the cross, and he's the only one that is trying to reach us. Amen. And so we, we somehow, I guess it's a defense mechanism that we want to defer onto a human agent and say, why are they, why, why are they messing with me? It's not, it's, not, it's not them. Ask God to see, let you see a little bit further than the person that, that is holding you accountable to spiritual excellence. Because the truth of the matter, it's Jesus. And he, he doesn't want anything but excellence from your life. That's why it's, uh, for years people have been saying, Pastor, why is the bar keep on rising? Why is the standard continue to be I, I surrender to God here, and he wants more surrender. I surrender here, he wants more surrender. I surrender here. I know just like you feel because I'm in that same walk. God will ask you for something, and then you thought, man, it took a lot to give God this, and then he'll ask you for another thing. And, he'll ask, and ultimately, he wants you to surrender completely. And so it's a continual. Um, the way a pastor described it years ago was, Jesus knocks on the door. So we're all fine with Jesus knocking on the door just as long as he doesn't come into the living room because we got a mess in the living room. And it's fine for him to be invited in the living room. We clean it up a little bit, but he wants to go in the kitchen. He wants to go in the bedroom. He wants to go in the closet. He wants to go in your private drawers. And we're not ready for that because he's, he's going to see some skeletons. He's going to see some ugly stuff. But guess what? He already knows it's there. And so here... Paul is being confronted, and he said, uh, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you have issue with. You have issue with God calling you to a higher plane of accountability and responsibility. Uh, I'm already going to church. I'm already reading the Bible. Uh, what else do they want from me? And why else? And, and, and they continue to signal this stuff. Um, One of the gentlemen here at church told his wife, look, we're going to give our hearts to the Lord, but we're not going to become fanatics. We'll go to church on Sunday for a little bit, and then and that's it. But when he came, he realized that Jesus wants to marry us. And marry us is not, you know, casual dating. And so now I have to kick him out because he never wants to leave this place. Because now he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not a church, it's not a pastor, it's not a religion, 
It's, it's faithfulness to God. So here, Paul is having this initial experience. And the Lord tells him, rise and stand on your feet. Get ready for instruction for, for you to hear from this. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. The casual acquaintance of Jesus, obviously because we're sinners, is to be saved. But he's not thinking only of your salvation, but to use you as an instrument to the salvation of many. And many people get saved and they're like, thank God he saved me. Now I'm not going to hell. Now Jesus Christ, leave me alone. What, what do you want with me? And he says, to make you a servant. So that you can testify both of the things which you have seen and of the things I will yet reveal to you. I'm, I walked into a black church. I was invited to preach here in Miami in the inner city. And I walked into the church and the pastor asked me to preach. And I could not preach that night because I was hearing the voice of God over each person that was there inside that church. The Lord unplugged my ears to the spiritual atmosphere and I could literally hear him talking to each individual person and I told the pastor, pastor, I can't bring a message for these people because God is talking to each one personally and individually. And imagine that. Imagine God sending down personal instruction to everybody in this black inner city church. And I know that's true here tonight also. And it's unrelated to my being here in front of you. But that each one of us are called to prepare a heart to listen to God's calling in our lives. And for years I would sit at the back of the church on midweek Bible studies. And it was one night. That, that God called me out in front of everybody saying, I've made you a prophet to my people. And I was like, that has to be, you know, Ralph. It has to be Omar. Oh, he's just waiting for, for George to stand up and come forward. And, and God is so particular and individual that for about an hour and a half, nobody would stand up and come, because the pastor, the, the guy who was preaching that night was calling. And I knew it was me, but I wanted to say, oh, he's talking to John Davis tonight. I know he is. Just passing the buck, passing the ball. It's a, it's a terrible thing to hear God. Not terrible in the bad sense, but the responsibility of what God has called us to do. And so I, I began to weep and weep and weep and came to the front. I said, Look, Pastor, I'm, I'm the guy God's talking to. I'm the guy God is calling out. So that's what he's doing here to Paul. And, and this is where life gets exciting now because now you're created for a specific purpose on this earth as an agent of God with responsibility that's huge before the Lord and you will render accounts to the Lord. And... And the, the marvelous thing here is that we can hear so many voices, but we try to drown out the voice of God. 
a very wealthy businessman went into the Amazon and decided to bring one of the Indians to experience the city in New York, Chicago, one of the big cities. And all of a sudden, in the middle of buses and taxis and traffic and everything blaring hard and fast in the city, the Indian tells the guy, stop, I hear something. And he goes, of course you hear something. The bus is passing. The taxi cab is yelling. Uh, there's there's a, the city multitude. He goes, no, 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 watch. And he went over and he looked into a flower pot and he says, look, here it is. And in that flower pot was a little cricket going, creak, creak. And he could hear the call of the cricket. And the guy says, well, how the heck did you do that? He goes, because over the years living in the Amazon, I've been able to fine-tune my ear to the nature, and I'm able to tell. But, but he says, I still don't understand. So the guy grabbed, and he says, watch, give me, give me a quarter. Okay, close your eyes. And then he threw the quarter, and it jingled over in the corner, and the guy went running to grab it. He could hear the sound of music on the sidewalk. I mean, not, not the sound of music, the sound of money that was falling in the sidewalk, and the, and the rich man ran running after the coin. And he goes, don't lose that. We can't lose that. And so the issue is uh, popping our ears to be able to hear God, to be able to, to receive. Now watch that we continue on here. To make you a minister, to make you a witness of the things which you have seen and the things I'll reveal to you. Um, a lot of people want to see great and mighty things, and this is, this is super important. A lot of people want to get to their next level of revelation, but they're being super irresponsible with what has been shown to them up front. And so a Bible teacher we had once said, I'll never tell a person step two to his instruction until I know he's done step one. Because if he hasn't done step one, he's not going to do step two. And so God will put every man under the tutelage of somebody that will watch and hold them accountable. This is true in any, any uh, profession. I believe it's Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And Jesus said these words in, in a manner that, that w must be uh, adhered to. Let's go 16, verse 2. I mean, 16, verse 12. Let's, let's switch it. Yeah. If you have not been faithful in what has been entrusted to another man, who will give you what is yours? Oh, when the Lord gives me, when, when, when I become, when, when God's using me, it's not, you can't be entrusted with the responsibility that God has for you until you show your responsibility for what God has given someone else. And, and in that same measure and in that same manner, we can be manifest. So the example we have in the Old Testament is Samuel. The Bible says that in his early years of ministry, from, from the time he was a young boy till the time he became a young man, the Lord hadn't spoken to him. He was under the tutelage of the high priest Eli. And he did, he served faithfully. Now, those of you that have studied the Bible know that Samuel became the number one, the greatest prophet that Israel had ever known. But the tutelage under Eli was so faithful that when God began to call, and this is, this is powerful, when God began to address Samuel, 
and he began to call his name. He was so used, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Verse 2. Let's go to verse 1 real quick. This is Old Testament. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the words of the Lord were rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. So he's faithfully working under the high priest Eli. Verse 2. And it came to pass at the time while Eli was lying down in a place when his eyes had begun to grow dim so he could not see. Uh, tonight we're, we're, we're discussing of how God is, is, is opening up a vision because you're not going to go where you can't see. You, you can't fulfill what God has not shown you. So here his eyes had begun to grow dim and he could not see. Verse 3. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, verse 4, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am, verse 5. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. His disposition was to go to the place where God, he was serving God and being faithful, and through that place, he would be entrusted with his own ministry, like we just read in Luke. If you're not faithful with what belongs to another man, who will give you what is yours? Well, I'm, I'm self-appointed, self-approved. No. There has to be that, that order of God. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went again and lied down. So verse 6 happens that the Lord called yet again, Samuel! So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called, second time. And he said, I did not call you, my son. Look at the relationship. They weren't father and son, but they had a relationship as such. I'm here to serve you. I'm, I'm present. I'm faithful. I want to honor the house. And he said, go lie down again. Verse 7. Samuel did not know yet the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And tell me, you've been... You've been walking in the temple for so long. Years have gone by. The guy has a definite bachelor's degree in ministry to God. He's a faithful man. He's, he's right there serving Eli, the high priest. And here, uh, the Lord is, is saying, you know something? Now I'm going to show you. So verse 8 comes again. And the Lord called the third time to Samuel. So he arose and again went to Eli. And said, here I am, as you did call me, I'm for sure knowing that this is God's connection here. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. The perceptions of how those that, that are mature, those that have been serving God for a long time, give you that, you know something? You're ready. You're ready to hear from God and to offer yourself to do the work of God. But not before there is clarity. Not before there's faithfulness. Not before you have honored God for a season. A season of, of approval. 
So then he went back, verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be, look at the instructions specifically. If he calls you again, you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down again in his place. Verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called. How many thank God that God doesn't give up? <laughs> that he continues to say, hey, you're different. I've called you. I've set you aside. I've prepared you. You're going to be my vessel. I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you where. And so this time the Lord twice, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. A lot of us need to begin to fine-tune our hearts and our, our ears and our voices and, and, our, and our eyes to see. Going back to Acts chapter 20, um, 26, verse 17, he's already said, I'm going to show you things which you have seen. I'm going to show you things which I'm going to reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. I, I want to talk about this a little bit. In regards to having a vision from God for our lives and for our family, for our ministry, for our legacy, we tend to feel, Lord, since I'm strong at programming, I'm going to do a great program. Since I'm strong in numbers, I'm going to make sure that the, the kingdom numbers are the best. Since I'm good at building, I'm going to build for God. And here, Paul, who was an expert in the Jewish law and tradition, God calls him to the Gentiles. He was killing Gentiles. He hated Gentiles. He was disgusted at their whole traditions and customs to disrespect God so much. So this tells us God's going to call us to the place we least likely expect. One of the ladies uh, God is using nowadays so powerfully, uh, her son was in the military, straight-A student. He was high marks. He was an officer. They, they were upper echelon society. They were respected. They were honorable. And God calls her because of what happens, a tragedy in their life. God calls her to minister in the prisons. And she's standing in line at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning trying to get into the prisons to minister to people she would never, ever, 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 ever relate with or talk to or want to be around. And God says, you, because her son, who is a straight-A student, he's an only son, he's a pastor's son, he, he gets in such big trouble that he gets a life sentence in prison. Because his compassionate heart finds a single girl raising two daughters. And the, the father of the girls was disrespecting that woman and abusing the girls. So he grabbed a gun and went and killed the guy. So in that mixture of, of chaos and tragedy, now he's sentenced to life in prison. And now she and her husband find herself in a huge prison ministry. And so Paul the same... Being a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a high and lifted up tradition of the Jews. He could teach it like the back of his hands. God sends him to the place where he least is expected to be able to be a champion. He says, I send you um, as well as from the Gentiles whom I now send you. I'm going to send you in that place where you, again, let's, let's talk about this. 
the, the less likelihood of our capacity to be able to offer to God is where he puts us and then he shows forth his glory. He shows forth his might in the place of your weakness, your vulnerability. We want to hide that place. We want to keep it hidden. Nobody find out. And there is the place where God uses you in the greatest capacity. Why? Because it will be all of God and none of you. And a lot of things, a missionary came over from, from Europe, um, India, in that area, and he came over to the United States, and he, he went around the whole United States looking at all the churches and all the ministries, and when he was leaving, he says, what is the most spectacular thing that you take away from yourself about the American church? And he says, to me, it's amazing how much they do without God. Because they do it all themselves. God is no part of it. God wants to do something that you never even dreamed capable or possible or even remotely. This, this thing right here. When we started saying we're going to change the world, the people started laughing at us. Why? Because nobody changes the world. Except those God calls to change the world. A world changer will change the world. And so this can only happen if God does it, if we move in the direction of God's work. Going back to Acts 26, again, I hope you are receiving your call from the Lord. I'm going to call you to the place you least likely think you're capable. What for, God? Why are you going to send me to this thing that I'm not prepared for? Verse 18, to open their eyes in order that they leave darkness and come to the light. You'd be an instrument of God directing traffic from darkness to light. That's what I was doing tonight. So I was doing last night, uh, yesterday in the program. That's what we do all day. Today we're driving around Miami and we see a guy with a long hair and he's like in traffic and he's lost. And he, hey, shh, shh, got a book for you. I got a lifeline. I want you to find what I have found. I want you to know what I've learned. And so here it is, from the power of Satan to God's power. This is why it becomes so hugely instrumental for us to be serious about our calling God because of all the people that are being lost because we're not turning to God. We're not, we're not seeing God. And the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance amongst those who are separated by faith in me. That's what, what he told Paul from the get-go. Now, what needs to happen in this process, and this is what God does for us. You guys know the story, scales fall from his eyes. That which he wasn't seeing before, now he was clearly seeing. In verse eight, uh, 19, he says these words, therefore, King Agrippa, the highest authority, he's in King Agrippa's court testifying. I was not disobedient to the vision I received from heaven. Sad enough, some still are clouded by earthly concerns. Their life is only about what they see in the natural realm. They only judge their existence by what's going on in their life. They can't see a little bit further. Um, one of the things about looking up under a storm is that you can't realize that behind the clouds, behind the thunder, behind the lightning, there's a bright shining sun. 
I've, I've, I've seen this happen when I, I fly in an airplane. You break through the clouds, the earthly atmosphere, and it's totally bright sun on the other side of the clouds. So these circumstances, these situations are temporary. And that's what Paul says as a result of this experience. He says, I cannot walk contrary to the heavenly vision. I want to begin to do what God has for me in his time schedule. Now, when you look at the heavenly vision, when you look at what God has prepared you for, it's totally inconsistent with natural reality. The reason why we can pursue changing the world is because a lot of things happened in my life for 20 years that were beyond rational. My parents' marriage getting healed didn't, didn't have any reason to it. It was supernatural. The Lord changing my heart from a rebellious youth to an obedient son, supernatural. And so God wants to do the impossible. Um, the way that some people have, have described it is they, they say, if you're going to get ready to see a vision from God and assimilate it, bring it in and welcome it, like Paul did, I can't be disobedient to what I've seen in the supernatural. They, they compare it to the aerodynamics of the bumblebee. They have made studies in laboratories and they take the weight of a bumblebee, which is a, a species of the bee, and they say, wait a second, the measurements, the weight, the capacity, the wings... This can't fly. In the natural, it's not going to happen. And that's the supernatural. God said it's going to happen. When everything says it's, it's impossible, God says that's my realm. I make it possible. And that helps you understand that you cannot start calculating to bring the, the equation to equate crazy realities, the impossibilities, the odds are against you, you know, like, like it was in Goliath's life with David, Gideon's life with Moab, all the impossibilities. And here God is victor and victorious. And so there it is that when we, um, we're challenged by the lack of aerodynamics and spirituality, um, I, can, I can confess with all confidence I'm the least qualified to be sitting up here talking about God. Not now, forever. Forever. But God decided to begin to, to do something phenomenal. Something supernatural. Uh, received a, a call from Jack Keane today. We were talking on the phone and and he says, I want to tell you that John Friedman has moved up to Lakeland. He's, he was in your church for three years. And he says that he's a totally different man sitting under your ministry and your teaching. Supernatural. Tangible. Manifestations of the transformation of God. How has that happened? Paul tells us how it happens in 2 Corinthians 4.16. We're not to lose heart. Though on the outward 
It looks like everything is coming apart. 2 Corinthians 4.16. If we take the measurements of the bumblebee, it's not supposed to fly. We're not losing heart because even though the outward appearance is that things are dying, there's an inward reality that something is happening day by day in our life. There's a transformation taking place. And so the basis of this possibility is having a clear vision. Again, those of you who don't have a vision, embrace the vision given to those people God has put in your life. John the Baptist found himself in a valley. He's in prison now, and they're about to chop off his head. And he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, please tell me, because I'm, I'm in darkness right now. I'm, I've lost my faith. This is the man who one day saw Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Now he's in prison. He's in darkness. And now he says to his disciples, go ask Jesus if I saw the right thing, if he's the Messiah. Because I might have missed it because now things are dark and I don't know if this is the guy. And, and they go to Jesus. He says, hey, John is in the prison now. He's in darkness. He's in the valley. He can't see right. He wants to know if you're the one or should we wait for another? In other words, if you're the one, then why am I in this level of darkness? And Jesus says, go and tell John that I am the one and that my signs follow me. The blind see, the, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And so sometimes we need somebody in a higher plane to be able to direct our directions, the example is going down into the valley. When you're down in the valley, the echoes of the voice, hello, 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 hello. And so which way are they calling me? I love standing outside of my, uh, of my lake because in a lake it happens too. And you go, hello, hello. And you could hear somebody. But if you're in a dark valley and there's a lot of voices around, which one do you listen to? You need to call somebody that's up in the hill and say, hey, it's dark down here. What do you see? And the guy says, brother, you better not walk that way. Start walking that way. And you continue in that valley. You could get direction from a person that's in a higher plane. And so this is what Paul is saying. In verse 15, our outward man has no hope, but the inward man is, is being transformed. And then he says like this, for our light, I'm sorry, verse 17. For the light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is creating in us the juices that far more exceedingly and, and able to create an external weight of glory. Everything that we're up against, and, and this is something that, that you might not be able to appreciate, every single detail of your life that you feel is a ow or ooh or oh, all that is preparing you for the fulfillment of his purpose. And how horrible it is to not have that understanding. How horrible is that every time you take a hit, you feel adversity and conflict. Um, the people of Israel said, you know something? All our trials in the desert, because we don't have and we have not seen a clear vision of the promised land, I want to I go back to the world 
and I want to be back in Egypt as a slave, and I want to eat what we, the slop we used to eat under Pharaoh's slavery. They didn't have a clear vision of what God had promised them. A lot of Christians are like that. I, I tend to think that they are to be the most pitied amongst all people. Because they started, they were in the world, and God called them out. And in their journey, they grow weary, and they turn back. And they, they, they feel more confident in the things of the world. My, my cousin Liliana did that a couple of years ago. She had gotten saved at the age of 20 and spent 10 years in the Christian church. And she allowed not the heavenly vision to be her priority. She allowed earthly circumstances to get her fed up with the church and she left the church. She goes, I'm not waiting no more for what God has for me. I'm going to be like my older sister who was a non-Christian. Her older sister had never given her heart to the Lord and I'm gonna start dating. She started going to nightclubs and she met the gentleman and dated for six months and he was, he was bent on hell, abusing her and, and doing things worldly people do. And so she broke up with him. And a year later, six months later, she broke up in June. They went out for a year. They broke up. Six months later, she is out with her sister at a restaurant, at a nightclub. And the guy sees her six months later. And he starts stalking her. And he shows up. She, she had backslidden so much, she started doing yoga. There's a Christian practicing yoga. And, and she was there in a yoga class. And the guy slid in her car when she came out of her yoga exercise, and he says, if you're not with me, today's our last day together. I gotta kill you and I'm gonna kill myself. So she was nervous trying to convince him not to do that. She tried to drive through the Coral Gables Police Department and in a moment where she thought he wasn't looking, she dashed out the door and he shot her five times in the back and killed himself, shot himself in the head. This is somebody who had decided, I'm not gonna pursue God's best I'm going to compromise it. And they're the most to be pitied because they go back, the Bible says, to the vomit. They go back to the mud after they've been washed. They, they walk backwards instead of forward to capture the fullness of God's vision. And he says there, because these many troubles are creating a greater weight of glory, all the hardships we're going through are challenges us to get us to prepare for what God has set us aside. Uh, it says verse 18, 2 Corinthians 4.18, because we're going through troubles, we're not losing heart, the outward man is, is coming, you know, everything that makes sense is falling apart, but the inward sense is being put together. He says like this, uh, while we do not look at the things which are seen, this is where, where a lot of people call us crazy. Hey, Christians, why do, they do, why do they live like they live? And why do they do what they do? And, and, and we're seeing on a spiritual realm the difference between darkness and light, and we don't want darkness. We see it. They don't see it. They start calling you weird. They start calling you, hey, are you guys doing a church? And we're like, you're, you're, you're about, we do not look at the things which are seen. We're looking at things that are not seen because the things that are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen, those are the ones we're seeing, are eternal. We're, we're not seeing. We're not, we're not saying, you're, you know, in, in my cousin's case, Porecita, uh, she's 30 and not married yet. You know, why hasn't the Lord, the Lord had a perfect plan for her life. She sold short and went back to the world, started dating a demon, 
and the demon that was in that guy killed her and him. 31 years old, first grade teacher, elementary teacher, beautiful young lady with, with huge promises of God, but she lost her vision. She lost her sight. She lost her understanding. Somehow or another, the devil began to cloud. 2 Corinthians 12, 1. I want to encourage you. This is what we do about our vision. Today, the women met at my house and they went. They went over the vision of this church. They, they understood what, what God has shown us for many years. Listen, 16 years ago when we wrote that vision... It didn't mean nothing. It was crazy. When seven years had passed, we had put it away for seven years. This was almost 10 years ago. When we pulled out the vision and began to read it, we were in shock that we were right on course, seeing the visible, tangible reality of what 16 years ago the Lord had only shown us in the spiritual realm. A church that would serve him without excuse. No excuses. Because usually people have excuses why they can't serve God. We said, we're going to have a church where nobody's going to have an excuse. That people are going to want to see what God has for them. It's not going to be an imposition. We're going to run for it. So it is doubtless, this is Paul saying, there's no doubt. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue a clear understanding of what God wants to show me. Verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, this is him talking about what he saw. What he told King Agrippus that he saw in the heavens, now he's relating here at the, the, the Corinthian church. The other one was in the book of Acts. 14 years ago, I don't know if it was an outer body experience, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of body I do not know, but God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Who is that? Paul. I don't know how God did it, but he took me to a place where I was able to see things that were incredible. Have you ever had somebody tell you, um, <laughs> Clarita was sharing her testimony. She was in Jerusalem one night, and they opened the, the big door to their hotel room, and it's a beautiful, glorious night. And, and she sees the angels of heaven. She sees a choir of angels. She sees the glorious presence of God. She's seen all sorts of things God is showing her. And so she tells her husband, quick, come over here. So this guy who's an unbeliever who never gave, you know, a second to seek the Lord, to pursue spiritual things, he comes out to the balcony and he looks up in the heaven and he says, I don't see diddly squat. You're crazy. She's sitting there seeing everything God is showing her because the pure in heart shall see God. The ones that don't have a lot of issues clouding. And so she goes, oh, forget it. These things are for people that, that walk in faith. These are for people that pursue the things of God with all their heart. So a lot of people will tell me, Pastor, I don't see what you see. I don't know what you know. Um, the, the only thing I can think of is a parent who speaks to their children. They've already been there. They saw the whole thing. They watched the movie. They got the reviews. They, got, they saw the reruns. And now they're trying to explain it to their kids. And their kids are saying, mom and dad are just weird. And it's not. God, we've already seen it. We've already lived it. So he continues on to say these words, verse 3. I was taken up to the third heavens. 
And I know such a man, whether in the body or out, he's still saying, I don't know if it's happened as a dream or if it was a reality. I do not know, but God knows. This, this, this thing that happened in a spiritual realm uh, is so real. Verse 4, I want to continue to receive those, he says. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. Paul is in the atmosphere of the heavens hearing things that, that are not common to common man. It's super powerful expressions. And then he says, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Secrets of the kingdom he wasn't able to reveal. I, I love that. I, I remember one day the Lord showed me. Uh, I guess the, the pastor was sharing. I was super young in the Lord. I was really new. And he was sharing on the rapture. And that night I, I go home and I fall asleep. And in the middle of my sleep, I see it's unheard of the size and the majesty of God's throne. Such precision and detail with regards to decorations. And I was just blown away by the immensity. And I'm looking at, I, didn't, I still didn't know what it was. And, and I'm looking at this huge just view of, of the throne of God. And, and then I noticed, and I didn't, know what, I didn't know if it was a building. I didn't know if it was a wall. It was just huge, all made out of gold and fine description. And, and I, I, as I'm looking, like, but I'm, I'm, my sentiment is freaked out in awe. It's just way beyond. I was like, like, and, and as I started moving my eyes, I, I noticed somebody's feet. I noticed somebody was sitting there. And when I tried to look at the face, just a shot of a light, just, just I couldn't see the face. But the light just nailed me. It struck me dead like a lightning bolt. And just, just that's all I saw. And so we're, we're saying, Lord, I want to turn off soap operas. I want to stop going to the movies. I want to stop listening to crap and talking about crap and being in a realm where I'm having nightmares at night that demons are following me. Well, why? Because I'm watching Friday the 13th. I'm watching Freddy kill somebody. I have so many worldly images of all the disgusting stuff. Well, who are you going to dream about? What are you going to see? You haven't consecrated your eyes, so there's no vision. How many say amen? amen. Lord, I want to... See these things because you know what these things do? They move you in the direction of God. Paul was moved totally contrary from the pursuit of the, the gain in this world. He says that all my gain I consider lost that I might attain Christ. This guy had to have seen something. He says he who finds the kingdom of God is like one who finds a, a, a precious pearl. He gets rid of everything he's into sells it off, and purchases that land because of that precious pearl. He says that's the kingdom of God. But you know why we don't leave the things of this world or we're not inclined to giving more time to the things of God? We haven't seen anything in the spirit realm. We haven't, we haven't had a heavenly vision. Here he's having that. And he says, I was caught up to this paradise and heard inexpressible words that man is not permitted to speak of. So uh, let's go to the next verse. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. I'm not, I'm not ready. Verse 6. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, 
For I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he seems me to be or hears from me. Like God, is, God is calling him to a greater, a greater expression. 1 Corinthians 2.9. I'll finish here. The things that God has prepared for each one of us, like we said at the beginning of this service. You know that, that as we have children, you call them John, you call them Carlos, you call them whatever the, 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 the kids that God has given you. And to only have the vision of earthly pursuit for them, I'm telling you right now, causes you to be miserable. It's poor. I was invited to Europe. And this man who was very grateful, it was Jurgen's father, was very grateful for being able to, to share Christ with his son. And he wanted, to, he wanted to say, look, you know something, what you've done for my son, and, and, and Jurgen tried to explain it. He says, Dad, this man here, that I met as a lawyer could have in his career justified making $100,000 in my divorce, in my legal case. And he decided to forget about money and to help me repair my family for free. And so he was trying to tell his dad, this is a man that I honor and respect and I want to introduce him to you. Well, his father was so overwhelmed with emotion and gratefulness that I had helped his son that he says, Joaquin, come here. I'm going to show you something I don't show anyone. And he brought me into his office, and he opened a huge door, and it was like a bank safe. Literally, the door was this thick. A bank vault. And he, he opened it, he pulled it back, this huge door, and we walked inside, and he pulls out a door, and he pulls out two bags full of diamonds. He's a diamond broker. He's a very wealthy man. And as he stood there showing me the diamonds, I'm talking, imagine pouches of diamonds. The only thing I've seen in a plastic baggie like that before is Cheerios. <laughs> and here this man held up these two big lad bags filled with all sorts and sizes of diamonds. And he was trying to impress me. And my heart said, poor fool. When this man gets up to heaven and sees the size, the Bible says the doors that enter the kingdom of God are diamonds. Like that bank vault he opened, that's going to be a diamond. He's just going to fall back backwards because what he had in those glad bags was dust. Earthly, temporal, passing dust, which a man gives his life for on this earth. And I said, poor fool, what does it gain a man to win the whole world and lose the precious calling of God upon his life. So a lot of us need to ask God for a heavenly vision. He told Abraham, go outside. Abraham was distressed. We're going to see this real quick. He says, all he could see in the natural is that he was lacking an heir. And so God says, hey, Abraham, before... Chapter 22, verse 16. Before God shows him a heavenly vision, Abraham is griping. And we're usually griping about our earthly realities and situation. Do we have that up there? Abraham's 22, 16. 
I'm sorry. I said Abraham. Genesis 22, 16. I'm confusing the person back there. And said myself, I have sworn... Because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son. That's not the, that's not the pastor. Let me find it real quick. I'm sorry, Genesis 15, 3. Yep, that's it. Abraham said, look, he's telling God about his temporal, earthly situation. He says, look, you've given me no offspring. I have the, you haven't delivered my expectation on the earthly realm. I have no one to carry on my legacy. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. This, this, this is not the plan that I had. Uh, what I see is not consistent with what my heart is. And that's how many of us are. We're stuck in that regards. So verse 4. What I have in my house. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, this will not be your heir. What you're seeing is not my plan. What you feel is not my circumstance. But one will come from your own body. It will be the offshoot of a natural expression shall be your heir. Verse 5. If you're going to be able to receive this, he brought him outside and said, look upward towards the heaven. Capture for yourself a heavenly reality. Go out there and ask God to show you what is the spiritual truth about the call of God on your life and your family. The girl that was in my office before the service, she's looking and the devil's showing her everything on an earthly realm that justifies her taking her life. And I said, don't look at that stuff. Raise your eyes to the heavens and see what God has made you to be a precious woman, an awesome mother an incredible family, a minister, um, a ministry to God. Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, this is the plans I have for you. This is the strength of your legacy. So shall be your descendants. And so, again, let's, let's do this, that the capacity for us to open up, you know, this thing about saying we're going to change the world and the natural is just complete foolishness and stupidity. Now, 16 years later, people are saying about us around the world, these guys are changing the world. They're not saying they're going to change the world. They used to laugh at me. This is the guy who says he's going to change the world. Now, they say these are the guys that are changing the world. And where are these changings taking place? They're sitting in the seats in this church. The lives that are being transformed in a powerful way. Really powerful. 1 Corinthians 2.9. We're going back there real quick. Eyes have not seen. There's nothing to compare it to because nobody has been able to visibly see these expressions. When, I, when God called us out to start this church 16, 17 years ago, um, a pastor told me, Joaquin, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've seen it all. You're not going to do anything greater than what we've experienced. And I said, listen to me. I believe in a God who in every generation chooses a people 
to renew his glory and to transform the earth in a different expression. While you're not expecting something new and great, I have seen a visible reality of what God wants to do. Not with Spring of Life, listen, with his church all over the world. For those that, that lift up their eyes and are able to see not the natural, the temporary, the fleshly, the twisted, the thwarted, but to have a heavenly vision. A heavenly vision that causes you, listen to me, how many can appreciate for 16 years we've gone through hell and high water? <laughs> hell and high water. But what stands above that is the vision God gave us. It stands strong. It's powerful. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it come into the thoughts of the heart of man. What? The things God prepares for those who love him. Let's stand tonight. Ask God for the sake of your family that you might be able to capture a heavenly cause and purpose that's greater than your life and greater than your pursuit. Ask God to give you a vision that's clear. 2 Kings 6.15, the prophet that followed Elijah, his disciple, he prayed to God. 2 Kings 6.15. God has to give you this vision when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out. There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Verse 16. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You're seeing, you're seeing surrounded enemies coming against you. And, and he says, listen, don't worry, because those that are fighting for us are way larger in number than those that are against us. Verse 17. So Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open my servant's eyes that he might see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man who wasn't seeing, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. How are you going to fight this battle in singleness of effort? And God says, listen, ask, pray, and ask God to open your eyes. Amen. Ask God to open your eyes to see what is about to take place and be accomplished in the vision God has sown into your heart. The poorest thing that happened in the Bible was somebody that was born blind. The poorest things that happens in our modern eye are those that are spiritually blind. That they're not pursuing the things which are so easily observable in the spirit. That cannot see the difference between the natural and the supernatural. I pray tonight that as we continue to see the vision of this church fulfilled, the vision of our families realized, and guess what? I, I really am excited about how our sons are going to see more clearly than we have seen. We have put them in an environment where they're able to judge quick the things that are from God and the things that are not from God. Our daughters are not going to fall in the, the travesty of having children without husbands because they would have waited on the Lord, they would have chosen with excellence, 
the greatest disservice I say that happens in Christianity are the women that rebelled and lost their families. Listen very well. The women who rebelled against God in their young age and didn't inquire and didn't see a heavenly envision and didn't have a spiritual house and they fallen that they refuse to speak to the next generation. You know what they do? They get upset and, and they keep quiet and they resent the fact that you would tell them that they did those things. So then our daughters have no ears to hear and they, they have no one to instruct their hearts. But the single most powerful instrument to minister to our daughters are the women who once were blind but now they see. Once they didn't have a vision and now they see clearly. And because of resentment and because they're frustrated and because they're hurt and because they feel despised, they're like, well, and, and they have, it's not supposed to be like that. Get over it. Start blessing the next generation so they don't commit the same mistakes because you are their lifeline. You are their testimony. You are the expression of the fear of the Lord so that they not commit the same mistakes. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for giving us the consideration of a heavenly vision to see above temporary situation, circumstance, even great tragedy and loss. If we're able to see with your eyes is great gain. It's supernatural provision from heaven. Because you make all things beautiful in your time. You turn all things around for your glory. You take ashes and you give us precious glory, Father God. We pray tonight that your word would minister to our spirits and to our hearts, to our families. And that we would be like the bumblebee. That we would fly even though the odds are against us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. The cafeteria is open tonight. Let's go ahead and sing a song. Amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.